Another great episode of Red Sea Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you hear, please go to our website, redsearadio.org, and donate to our apostolate, or even become a member of our Immaculata Recurring Gift Society and keep us on the air. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Good morning. It is Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. You're listening to the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today, as always, we're going to have a great show for you. In the second part of the show today, we're going to be speaking with Deacon Dan Lupo about Easter and its relationship to the Eucharist. We also talk a little bit about the National Eucharistic Revival. Deacon Dan is a former co-director of diaconal formation for the Austin Diocese. He's currently assigned to St. Thomas More Parish in Austin and serves on the Diocesan Eucharistic Revival Team. But before we get to that, I want to welcome everyone listening to us on KEDC 88.5 FM Hearn, Bryan College Station, and shout out to our Central Texas listeners on KYAR 98.3 FM Lorena Waco, and our listeners in Palestine on KINF. 107.9 FM. We're live today, so if there's something going on in your parish you want to share with our listeners, feel free to give us a call on 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. This morning, I feel a little bit like a fish in a fishbowl. There's a lot more people in the studio than there normally are, but i uh, as always, uh, when he deems us worthy to join us, our president, Dennis Maka, <laughs> makes an appearance this morning. So, Dennis, how are you? I'm very happy to be here with you, Deacon Mike. I, uh, I am the one that's unworthy to be in your presence. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, also, uh, <laughs> our new uh, program director, uh, Caleb, is joining us this morning. Caleb, how are you? I'm doing great, Deacon Mike. Excited to be here. Are you getting used to the idea of millions of listeners hearing your voice across the entire spectrum of Central <laughs> Texas? We want to get it to millions of listeners. <laughs> that's what that's the goal. Heck there. yeah. Yeah, well, they're going to have to take me off there or <laughs> that to happen. But uh, also on the phone joining us today, um, Deacon Robin Waters. Deacon? How are you this morning? Good morning, everyone. I, I'm I'm blessed. I've got to serve at mass this morning, and I got to go to confession after that. So I'm I'm ready to go. I'm not asking what you did at mass that you had to go to confession, but uh, it, it wasn't at mass. That was, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, was there something you wanted to share with us this morning about the family uh, retreat? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to uh, uh, encourage everyone again to mark their calendars for Saturday, July 29th. We're going to be having the uh, Red Sea Catholic Radio uh, Ablaze Ministries Central Texas Family Retreat at St. Louis Catholic Church in, in Waco. Again, that's Saturday, July 29th. We're going to get started about 830 that morning and we'll be done, including dinner by 530. Uh, it's going to be three great Speakers there for the adults and great catechesis for all the kids, separate programs for all the different age groups so that 
that's all uh, you know, put kids at similar ages together and even a nursery for kids three and under. So we're expecting a, a large turnout. We're, we're praying for uh, probably 150 families. For last year, we only had 36, I think, actually showed up, 39 signed up. So, uh, yeah, please keep that on your calendar. There's going to be good food and fellowship. And the theme, which I think is so important these days, is families encountering Christ. And the talks are going to be on forgiveness in relation to that, patience and kindness, and humility, and the Eucharist, which is going to be your focus with Dick and Dan here in a few minutes. Yes, and uh, I want to encourage everyone in uh, the Waco area to take advantage of this. It is something well worth uh, participating in just for the building of community, and uh, mm-hmm. as Christians, that's what we're all about, is building community. And so this is a perfect opportunity to do this. And I know just from uh, talking to the people that have been to the one here and the one in Waco, at everybody says they're going to go back. So, Yes, sir. And the other thing that's kind of cool is that so it's, a, it's a, you know, an entire day. We're going to feed them lunch and dinner and snacks and drinks all day. Three great speakers, and for the whole family, whether it's just a couple whose family has grown up, we had we our range last year went from I think the oldest couple was about seventy five years old, down to newlyweds. Some had kids, some didn't. It's for families. Fifty bucks for the day. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. You can't even bear. You can't feed uh, a family on fifty dollars, even at McDonald's these days. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. So what you're saying is that uh, to get your money's worth, bring the neighbor's kids, too. Go for, go for it. We'll <laughs> take them. Yeah. Yeah. Come in. Uh, and, 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 but, and as you said, one of the things I think that is a key important part of a family retreat is you're going to make friends with like-minded couples. People that can be your friends that you can get to know and, and you can share your faith with, you know, outside of the retreat that you can get together with and. Even if you're from different parishes, you know, just having like-minded Catholic couples mm-hmm. is a blessing for anyone. Right, and especially in the world we live in today, it's always nice to find people that have your uh, same worldview that you can talk to and don't have to worry about what they're going to think. Exactly. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention while I've got a couple of minutes is I just wanted to give a shout-out to St. Mary's Church of the Assumption in Waco. They had their church festival last weekend, and they invited me to come out and broadcast live, which we did from from 12 to 1, and just got to visit with some awesome people. Uh, thanks to David Swinston, who really was the organizer to help me get set up in a big part of the organization of their annual festival. His mom, Penny, Father Joe Galaney there, uh, Ann Ratizak, Dwight and Barbara Wiedemann, just a large group of people that we enjoyed going out and celebrating that day with them. They had great food, fellowship. Uh, it was just one of those awesome church festivals that we experienced. Uh, uh, not as often as we like to, but very, very enjoyable. And I wanted to thank them. And, and I hope that it was a, it was a, a, a good endeavor for them financially, because that's one of their biggest fundraisers. So thanks to, to St. Mary's Waco for that. Uh, speaking of church festivals, I don't want to miss out on mentioning that St. Anthony's uh, Catholic Church here in Bryan is having their 59th annual bazaar on Sunday, May 21st. 
and it will be at the St. Anthony Pavilion on Tabor Road, and it, the food and fun begin at 11 a.m., and the auction begins at 12.30 p.m., and this is always a wonderful event. There's great auction items. The food is fantastic, and so uh, invite everybody here in the Bryan College Station area, or if you want to drive down from Waco, come on down yeah. and um, come uh, check out the bazaar at St. Anthony's. Uh, what do they serve, Deacon? Uh, barbecue. There is uh, brisket. There is sausage. And they cook this uh, at night. Um, everybody's out there uh, making the barbecue. There's uh, also chicken, potato salad, and um, all the fixings. So um, you wow. will not leave hungry. M- most of the people take half their food home. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to mention is I uh, just wanted to uh, get you to tell uh uh, Deacon Dan, hello for me. He was one of my formators and was a blessing in my life and still is. And uh, and I consider him a good friend now, but he had a, a lot of uh, influence on my formation. And uh, he has a Ph.D. that's rare. Hmm. Uh, he's Dr. Deacon Dan Lupo. Oh, I don't want to give him a big in... head. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has a Ph.D. in yep. rhetoric, so do not get into a debate with him. I will keep that in mind. Uh, before we finish up the uh, first segment, I also wanted to uh, have Caleb talk a little bit about Victory Sports. Caleb, what you got? Sure thing, Deacon Mike. We've got Victory Youth Sports flag football and volleyball registration open now. The season begins in September. This is something you're not going to want to miss. We've had a lot of families uh, talk about what a benefit this has been in their faith life, in their um, closeness as a family. You can register at victoryyouthsports.org. And remember, we keep score. Mm-hmm. In addition, I want to throw out real quick, uh, we've got a lot of podcasts. We're not just radio here at Red Sea. We've got podcasts. You can go to our podcast page at redsearadio.org slash podcast. There you can find things like The Joy of Medicine, Shoulder to Shoulder, Mystery of Parenthood. Uh, we've got a great episode of Joy of Medicine coming out tomorrow morning, Thursday, in which Dr. Cashin, if cardiologist for 55 years discusses an actual miracle he saw in the operating room i'm not going to spoil anything but there's this is one of those things is there's no doubt about it 100 miracle so check that out tomorrow morning very good and also uh dennis you had an announcement to make <laughs> we have a really big announcement uh from the beginning when we first started red sea We've always been really good friends with the the folks over at uh, the Coalition for Life, uh, which turned into 40 Days for Life, an international movement, and more specifically, David B. Wright. He's the founder of 40 Days for Life. He has been a tremendous friend of our family and of the Red Sea Apostolate family for probably 20 years now. And um, we're very excited to unveil now, as well as incoming into your email box soon, information about a survey we're doing. We are going to combine our efforts with Mr. David B. Wright to do a nationwide survey about the state of our culture. And from that, we're going to launch a pretty darn big initiative. And I would dare to say it's probably the biggest one we've undertaken here at Red Sea. And uh, we we talked about families coming together for these um, parish festivals Our aim is to bring families together to be active participants in changing our culture, 
and making a huge impact on our entire nation. And uh, we're launching that here within this week. Uh, we, we hope that survey will be online. So check your email inbox. But what I want to tell people is if you are not part of our current email list, go to our website, redcradio.org forward slash subscribe, or you can click on the contact us button on the homepage. That's red, the letter C radio.org. Click on the home button on the, the homepage, the contact us button, or do forward slash subscribe in your email, your browser window. But this is going to be really big, Deacon Mike. It's going to be a big undertaking that we are wanting to make a big difference and impact not only in our nation's culture, but in our church's culture. Um, Just pray for us. If you want to be involved from the ground up, this is now the time to do it. RedCRadio.org forward slash subscribe. Very good. Look for that in your email. Now, also, before we go to break, uh, we normally do a little Saint of the Day segment, and this week we really had a choice of who to talk about, and we have St. Joseph, of course, uh, way up there as far as saints go, but also today we have the Feast of uh, the Apostles, Philip and James. But the saint I wanted to talk a little bit about in the couple of minutes we've got left is one that we probably haven't heard about as much, and he's probably my favorite saint. His name is St. Athanasius, and he was a deacon when he was asked by his bishop to accompany him as uh, the theological advisor to the Council of Nicaea. And the Council of Nicaea was called because of a heresy called Arianism. And uh, St. Athanasius is one of the people responsible for the church not being Arians. And for people that tell us that, you know, the Catholic Church was actually invented by um, the Emperor Constantine, don't know the history of St. Athanasius. His unofficial title was Athanasius Contramundum, which means Athanasius against the world. Because basically, he was the one who stood for orthodoxy in the Catholic Church. And he was the one who carried the battle flag for orthodoxy into the Council in Nicaea. And um, one other small bit before we go to the break, uh, he did not want to be bishop. When it was announced that uh, Bishop Alexander was going to pass away, he ran away. And the people surrounded the uh, cathedral and shouted his name that they wanted him as bishop. So we will see you on the other side. Remember, we're going to be talking with Deacon Dan Lupo. And uh, don't go away. It's going to be an exciting conversation. All this I can I am Thanks for listening to part one of Red Sea Roundup. Part two is just around the corner. You can find additional Catholic podcasts and resources at redsearadio.org, as well as a page to leave your prayer requests. If you feel called, please consider donating to our apostolate so we can continue creating entertaining and educational Catholic content for all to enjoy. Thank you and God bless. Now back to Red Sea Roundup.
And we are back. And again, you're listening to the Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. And in a few moments, we're hopefully going to be speaking with Deacon Dan Lupo. We're having a minor telephone issue at the moment. So, um, but this gives me an opportunity to. Uh, to speak a little bit more about my favorite saint, Saint Athanasius, would, uh, and uh, as I mentioned uh, in the first part, that so often when we talk about uh, Catholicism, uh, detractors will talk about the fact that you know the church isn't truly the church the apostles started, that the church we have today is one that was. Uh, started by uh, the Emperor Constantine. And as I said, uh, that's really not true. Uh, if we read the history, especially of the Council of Nicaea and the heresy of Arianism, uh, it's clear that the church has always been the Catholic Church and the fight for orthodoxy started. All right, I believe we have our phone issues fixed. Deacon Dan, how are you this morning? I'm well, Deacon Mike. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, by the way, we spoke with uh, Deacon Robin Waters in the first part of the show, and uh, he wanted me to tell you hello and to remind you how much uh, of an influence you were in his formation to the diaconate. Uh, yeah. When I was uh, winding up my tour of duty as uh, co-director of diaconal formation, Robin was in that last class that I was uh, part of, uh, and uh, yeah, he he did a great job in in formation. He's a great guy. He and his wife are uh, a wonderful couple, and I'm glad to hear that he's um, he's doing well. And I will I will reach out to him and thank him for that on air um, uh, message. Thank you. Well. Uh... I would have to chime in also and uh, tell people that uh, you were also in uh, the co-director of diaconal formation when I was going through it, and uh, that as soon as I went through it, you decided you had to quit because that was just too much. Uh, <laughs> yes, something like that. Something like that. So anyway, let's get back to our topic uh, for this morning, and we wanted to talk a little bit about Easter and then the connection to the Eucharist. So before we get into that a little bit, uh, if you were going to talk to us about Easter, what are some of the things that you would want to highlight? Well, um, Easter as certainly the, um, um, the highlight of our liturgical year. It's the uh, event that is the most profound and impactful in our spiritual lives, if Easter didn't happen, then Jesus was just another good guy. He was just another uh, wisdom sayer. He maybe he did some miracles, maybe he didn't, uh, depending on who you talk to. Uh, he tried to lead lead a good life. He had um, an impact on those who uh, journeyed with him for three years, but then he died. And there are witnesses to that death, and but captured both in scripture and in secular documents. But then he rose, and that's a game changer, because it means 
that everything prophesied about the Messiah is true, and then that Jesus was the Messiah, and then that everything Jesus promised as the Messiah is also true. And for you and me and all our listeners right now, that means salvation. That means that our sins are forgiven, that we have entry into heaven, into eternity, all because of Easter. Um, it's just the the great, you know, the, the, not to be cliche or glib about it, but it is the great story ever told. It is uh, the, the, the moment when he uh, changed the world. The world suddenly had uh, a way back to the garden. You know, we left the garden under um, troubled circumstances. Our our ego, our pride uh, took over. And Jesus, in his sacrificial act of love, provided us with a way to get back to union with God. And uh, I, for one, am very grateful. <laughs> One of the things that always comes to mind every time we celebrate Easter is for us as Catholics, it is not just about the resurrection. We start with Holy Thursday. We acknowledge the suffering and death on the cross, and we celebrate the resurrection. But I'm always drawn back to St. Paul when he's talking to the Corinthians saying that, you know, the only thing that he talks about is Christ and him crucified. And I'm always yeah. struck by the fact that when you really think about it, the notion of basing your entire faith on someone rising from the dead, if it's not true, would be utterly ridiculous. And we're still talking about it 2,000 years later as yeah. an actual event. Yes. Well, you know, what's, I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, it's the, the whole triduum has such a powerful uh, impact on us if we allow it to, uh, to penetrate. And if we enter into all of those liturgies just with uh, openness and surrender. But, you know, another perspective on the Good Friday to Easter Sunday um, uh, journey is that, in my perspective, is that it's a template for all the adversity that we face in our lives. Now, what do I mean? I mean that, you know, when uh, we have calamity befall us, it's Good Friday. When we lose a loved one, when we um, are in financial dire straits, when our health uh, declines, this is the uh, struggle against worldly adversity. And that's what Jesus faced and on Good Friday. Everyone turned against him. Most, most everyone turned against him. Uh, he was uh, rejected and abandoned and beaten and spit upon. And we, in our lives, face that kind of um, trial, if you will, perhaps not as uh, um, 
deep as the wounds that he suffered. But when we're in it, we're in it. It just feels like pretty awful stuff. And we're called then to do what Jesus did, which is to hang in there, no pun intended, to hang in there, to recognize this is God's part of God's plan. Not that he wills all the adversity upon us, but that he asks us to trust him and to learn the lesson of the adversity because there is an Easter waiting for us, that we don't stay in the adversity for the rest of our lives, but we can uh, rise from that adversity a bit wiser, a bit more tough, a bit more um, uh, um, graced by the Lord as he resurrects us out of the adversity. It's, it's a template for, the, 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 the triduum is a template for um, the ups and downs of our life. I, I really uh, love how um, in the midst of all the uh, suffering, Jesus is able to refer to Psalm 22. He's up on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is you and me when we're in the middle of dealing with, um, you know, car problems or, uh, you know, the hail that has damaged our roof or, you know, all the kinds of things that happen. And we maybe we, we raise our fist and we shake it a little bit and we cry out. And yet the rest of that psalm, if we read it, is all about praising God and, and, and thanking him for his steadfast love. And I really think that from the cross, Jesus was saying, it might look like I'm, I'm feeling abandoned by my father, but all he had was enough strength was to, was to um, quote the beginning of that psalm knowing that the Jews who were there listening to him, witnessing, would know the rest of that psalm, and that his message is, this is not the final episode here. Read, re- remember the rest of the psalm, how it is uh, uh, triumphant and, and praiseworthy and, and exalting uh, the Father. Um, and the other thing that he says from the cross, again, in the midst of um, those adversities that we face that are relational, rela- relationship-oriented, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. And Deacon Mike, you know this, that the way beyond or past any difficulties in relationships is to forgive one another. The sting of harsh words, the uh, pain of actions taken in the midst of uh, anger, all that needs to be forgiven and dissipated and and the relationship resurrected through grace. So again, I just say that the, 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 uh, the Good Friday, Easter Sunday, um, journey is really a template for us as we travel through all the adversities of our own lives, knowing that 
beyond the adversity will be a new beginning, a new resurrection in if we allow God to help us through. I've always felt that when we read the passion narratives, that in a way they encapsulate every evil that we could possibly encounter in our life. Mm. Mocking, ridicule, beatings, uh, abandonment, betrayal, all the things that Mm. might occur to us in our life that we would consider absolutely devastating. And there's always two things that I uh, feel we're to get out of this. One is that Jesus is there with us, that he goes through this. But the other thing is that there is an end to this that is beyond what we're feeling at the moment, beyond what we're going through at the moment, something that provides us with hope. Right. Beautifully. Beautifully said. I, I, I agree 100% that, that, you know, just as Jesus, for Jesus, death could not hold him. There was life beyond death that we, in our adversity, in all the trials that we have, that moment of great pain and suffering because of the adversity is not the last word on, on, what, on what's to come. There is more to come, and it's uh if if we are living our life um trying to abide in the lord that we are to trust that the lord has something bigger better greater beyond that that we 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 need to cling to that hope yeah beautiful i want to remind our listeners we're speaking with deacon dan lupo about easter and the eucharist and um one of the things that also I wanted you to touch on is uh, the second Sunday of Easter is, thanks to St. John Paul the Great, uh, Divine Mercy Sunday. And would you speak a little bit about connection of Easter and Divine Mercy? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the, the, the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, uh, is the first and last word about divine mercy. Um, and then, and then Faustina comes in um, and records in her diary, um, you know, her, her diary is about three inches thick and, and I can't say I've read it all, but what I do remember from that beautiful diary is the interaction she had with our Lord who said to her, tell people they must know that there is no sin that my mercy cannot cover. And so this offers us not only Jesus from the cross forgiving us our sins and redeeming us because of that, giving us uh, salvation, um, but that we're reminded. He, I mean, Jesus comes into Faustina's life to uh, prompt her to create this um, incredible picture, painting of him with the white rays and the red ray coming from his heart, depicting divine mercy, is the blood and water from his pierced heart, washing us clean, 
empowering us, giving us new life, and um, that he knows better than anyone that we are not our sins. We are God's beloved. Jesus shares his sonship with us so that we are God's beloved sons and daughters, and we can call his Father our Father. And that there is mercy at the at the core of that relationship. We are uh, not worthy that he should come under our roof, but only say the word, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, and my soul shall be healed. That to me is is the most profound um, and uh, deeply um, hopeful statement that we say at Mass. We recognize our utter need for a, for a Savior. And I always say it in my mind, but only say the word. I say the word, word with a capital W, meaning, but only through Jesus am I healed, am I saved. I'm not worthy left to my own devices. I am a sinful man. And I'm, a, I'm limited in my ability to raise myself up. It takes Christ to resurrect me. And the word made flesh, in fact, does that on Easter. Uh, and he does that at each mass. It's the, the remarkable thing is the Easter event wasn't just a one and done. We are Easter people. And on Sundays, or at every Mass, actually, we celebrate his sacrifice, his, the breaking of his body and the pouring out of his blood. And he invites us into that mystery and says, take my body, drink my blood. So that we can be in union with one another and live in the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. You know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here and now if we allow Jesus to um, uh, resurrect us and, and, and if we allow him to, conf- to be, if we allow ourselves to be conformed to his um, ministry the call to serve others and to and all for the glory of God. It's all of a piece. It's just a wonderful, uh, there's so much to unfold from Easter. And uh, mercy is at the heart of Easter. Father, forgive them. And it continues to this day with through the beautiful act of uh, sacrament of reconciliation. By the way, let me digress. <laughs> you like. would never do that. <laughs> so, so let me talk briefly, or not so briefly, about the upper room. So much happened in the upper room, starting with the first Eucharist, obviously. Uh, there, you know, the, when, when Jesus transformed the Jewish Passover meal into the sacrament of the Eucharist. How, how profound, how wonderful, 
in, in, in that way, when Jesus says, I will be, when he leaves his, his apostles, he says, I will be with you always. Well, this is how he is with us always, every day, our daily bread, the Eucharist at Mass. Okay. Second thing he does in the upper room, or another thing he does in the upper room, is he washes the feet of his apostles, thereby instituting the priesthood, the notion of serving as Jesus served and washed the feet of the apostles, he sends them out to do the same, literally and figuratively, uh, in, a, in, a, in a gesture of, so the church needs to be a servant of the people. You are going to be the shepherds of the flock, the people. So let me show you how that's done. It's done with humility. It's done with sacrifice, and it's done with love. And that's the essence of the church uh, that he creates, the priesthood that he creates right there when he washes their feet. The third thing he does is uh, uh, Easter evening, he comes into the upper room without knocking. How rude. He just comes right into the room, and he breathes on them. And, of course, the word breath, ruah, is the same word for spirit. So it's a kind of a Pentecost moment where he breathes on them and imbues them with the power to forgive. That's the first thing he wants for his church. Serve the church and, and, and promote this idea of forgiveness. And so he, he tells the disciples, whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And we have the sacrament of Reconciliation. So, sacrament of the Eucharist, the the uh, priesthood, uh, you know, holy orders, if you would, another sacrament, and then the sacrament of uh, reconciliation, and then of course the Pentecost event, which is the uh, precursor or the paradigm for the sacrament of confirmation and the Holy Spirit is called down upon each of us as the apostles were were imbued with the Holy Spirit and sent from that room with incredible determination and power and, uh, and uh, zeal to proclaim the good news to all others. So we are given those that same spirit and that those same marching orders to go into the world and uh, witness to God's love in our lives and hand on the faith as we are able. So the upper room, if anyone out there is listening, is uh, planning a trip to the uh, Holy Land. Um, Make sure that your tour involves uh, a stop off in the the upper room and uh, take a moment to recognize all that took place in the upper room, the powerful things that happened, how much of what we do and live and uh, practice in our faith had its origin in that upper room. I wanted to go back for just a second uh, because everything you were talking about just now, uh, we were talking about divine mercy and the divine mercy image. And uh, we didn't mention the words written on the bottom of the divine mercy image. And for me, I end every homily with this. And uh, it's Jesus, I trust in you. 
And I've always taken this in a direct connection with the promise of divine mercy, that in order to receive the divine mercy, we have to trust that it's going to happen. And those words we Mm. speak, uh, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Again, trusting that that word alone is going to fix that. Yeah. That that mercy will come. And I've always uh, thought, you know, we so often like focus when we consider these sort of things of those promises made and how easy it is for us to attain them. All we have to do is trust that God will do it. Yes. And that uh, we can only say, Jesus, I trust in you. We can only say that with conviction if we know the Lord. And because once you know the Lord, you... um, you can trust him. He is trustworthy. He presents himself as loving and merciful and trustworthy. Um, and the greatest way to know the Lord is in the Eucharist. And, and I base that on uh, the Emmaus story that we—that's the you know the third week of of Easter—and they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. And so the lesson there is Jesus reveals who he really is in the Eucharist. He is love and mercy all together. He is his broken body and his poured out blood in the Eucharist. All done. All that suffering done because he loves us and has mercy on us. It's all there in the Eucharist, and he yearns to give us himself, his love, his mercy. So that when the times are rough and we are struggling with adversity, we can say with all conviction, without a doubt, Jesus, I trust in you. I trust there is an Easter moment coming in 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 your way and in your time beyond this um, moment of adversity in my life. And, you know, that's uh, a great way to get through the adversity is to repeat, Jesus, I trust in you. I don't see it. I don't understand how it's going to change. I'm just feeling the sting and the pain and the Whatever it is, I'm feeling hopelessness because of what I'm suffering right now, but I trust that you have this and that you have a, uh, an outcome beyond this that will uh, put everything into perspective and that will move the needle in my fa- in faith life. I'll be progressing uh, deeper into my relationship with you because of this uh, adversity. Trust, yeah, Deacon Mike, you're you're spot on. I I really uh, love to hear that you end each homily with that because it's such a sign of hope. It's such a it's such a um, uplifting phrase. I trust in you. 
I know who you are. I hear your voice and I know it. And I trust in you, my good shepherd. Beautiful. I want to remind all our listeners once more, we're speaking with Deacon Dan Lupo, and we're talking a little bit about Easter, a little bit about the Eucharist. And while we're on the Eucharist, would you flesh out the Emmaus story a little bit in light of its connection to the Mass? And I've always said that the first post-resurrection Mass was actually happening on the road to Emmaus. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. it's uh, I love that that episode. Um, and uh, so for those who are who need to be reminded, who are maybe less familiar with the story, a couple of disciples have just, in their grief that Jesus has uh, been killed, and in their disbelief at some of the conflicting stories about, well, some of the women said that he was resurrected. They, they met an angel, and the angel said, go meet in Galilee, and, and these poor chaps are saying, well, not so much. We're just going to go to the next town seven miles away, and we're just going to lick our wounds and go, you know, figure out what our next steps are. And Jesus falls in with them as they're traveling, and he says, well, what are you guys talking about? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And well, what about that Jesus of Nazareth, says Jesus, who, who is not, to them, he's not Jesus. And there's a couple of reasons to uh, how to understand that. First of all, one reason is that this is the risen Jesus, who is not uh, who the human form Jesus looks like. Uh, you know, we we talk about the, the beatific vision of uh, what God looks like. Uh, what Jesus would look like, you know, in, his, in, in the fullness of his divinity, um, and and Jesus is sort of different now, so their eyes don't really recognize him. Remember when when uh, the three the three apostles uh, were up on the mountain and there was the transfiguration, and they got a glimpse of him, but they didn't really. Uh, gaze upon him for a long time. They just they saw him and and Moses and, uh, and and then they fell to the earth. They couldn't take it in. Their eyes were were downcast. So there's something about Jesus post resurrection that doesn't allow our human senses to really accommodate who he is. Even Mary in the garden thinks he's the gardener. She doesn't recognize him until he calls her name and reestablishes that connection. Anyway, these guys are are just befuddled. They're they're like, what are you the only guy in in Jerusalem who doesn't know about Jesus of Nazareth and what ha- what just happened to him? And I always, if I ever preach on this, I always insert my joke, which is, hey buddy, you've been living in a rock under a rock for three days. You didn't even heard this? Ha, ha, ha. Yes, he yes. was in the rock for three days. And they, uh, the story continues. And Jesus says, well, don't you know that the Messiah had to suffer? And then he goes through Scripture to help them understand. Well, this is what the liturgy of the Word is at our Mass. 
and he opens the scriptures for them, and they and opens their minds to understand the scriptures, and shows how all throughout the now this is the Hebrew scriptures, right? This is what we call the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Um, so he's revealing to them who the Messiah is as revealed in the old scriptures. Okay, good. And he probably expounds a little bit on that and provides a sort of homily to them. So that's the liturgy of the word. Then they get to the town and it's late and they can't be out on the highways after dark because it's dangerous and it's supper time anyway. And he says, and they they said, come on, stay with us. We're going to have some dinner. And Jesus says, okay, we'll have dinner. And then they order the food or whatever. And the and Jesus takes the bread and does the blessing, breaks the bread. And suddenly the men's eyes were open as to who Jesus really is in the breaking of the bread. And there's our liturgy of the Eucharist. We have the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist all in that one scene. <clears throat> and um, the takeaway for me, the big takeaway, as I said, Jesus reveals the depths of his love. He reveals the power of his mercy. He reveals his desire to be in union with us, to be in communion with us in the Eucharist. And, uh, you know, the the story, the Emmaus story ends there, and that's, uh, I mean, they, they're so full of zeal once they recognize Jesus. They discount the danger of being on the highway, and they run back to Jerusalem, and they tell the folks, we saw him. He's, you know, we, we, he's alive. He's risen, uh, you know. So uh, that, uh, again, is a, I, I love that because we are sent after Mass. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. And that's exactly what they did. So, again, uh, the, the Mass as we know it today has its roots, uh, certainly in the Emmaus story. Um, and, of course, on Holy Thursday. Uh, one thing else I wanted to touch on, uh, in light of the Emmaus story and the uh, disciples recognizing Jesus in the breaking of the bread, and it, this connection to the National Eucharistic Revival, the idea that we're, as a church, are trying to remind ourselves of the importance of truly recognizing Jesus in the Eucharist and that we've sort of fallen away from an appreciation what that really means. Would you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, you know, the Eucharistic revival that the U.S. bishops have, um, um, and the program that they've uh, instituted for us is based on uh, a reaction to some some uh, research that discovered that 70%, almost 70% of Catholics do not believe in the real presence. And so the bishops, you know, read that research and say, oh my gosh, we need a, a renewal of um, our understanding of an appreciation of 
Jesus as truly present body, blood, soul, and divinity in that Eucharist. Because if we don't recognize Jesus in that Eucharist, if we have, if we go up in the in the uh, communion line, just as another thing to do during Mass, if we don't receive the Eucharist and realize who it is we're receiving and why we're receiving Him, you know uh, we're in we're in uh, great trouble in terms of uh, the Church's mission to hand on the good news. Because then it just becomes a, a ritual, an empty ritual, and um, it doesn't change us the way it's supposed to in how we live our lives, how we lead our lives uh, as God's beloved, uh, receiving his mission to hand on the good news to others. Then we just live our lives for ourselves. Then we just put pictures up on Facebook and Snapchat of us with a good meal in front of us or a great sunset behind us and giving the impression that our lives are wonderful. Our lives aren't wonderful. Our lives are, are a struggle because the world, the flesh, and the devil are out there um, clawing at us and uh, trying to distract us from the truth, who is Jesus, who is the way the truth and the life to eternal life. Now we're we're trying to reclaim that through this initiative by the bishops, and in our diocese, um, we uh, we are at the point that the first year has been an effort by the diocese itself through through um, various means, a, a website with a with a bunch of um, great resources, and uh, the Eucharistic procession that we went on last year, Corpus Christi, Feast of Corpus Christi, blazing hot day, but it was just marvelous anyway. Um, and now that we're switching to a parish focus for um, the Eucharistic revival, uh, encouraging parishes to have, or at least deaneries to have their own um, Eucharistic procession to have their own programs of guest speakers, to have their own um, information sessions about the beauty of the Mass and how it is that Jesus is truly present, and to revive this, this uh, understanding and this appreciation for uh, Jesus present with us always in the Eucharist, making a difference in our lives if we allow it, if we cooperate with His grace, if we, if we present ourselves uh, humbly and surrendered and say, uh, Jesus, I trust in you that my life with you is a hundred bazillion times better than my life without you. Uh, and so um, I, I encourage our listeners to whatever parish they belong to, to inquire about, well, how is our parish? What's the program at our parish for um, promoting the Eucharistic, Eucharistic revival um, that the bishops are um, encouraging us to participate in. And I think this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this show. We've only got a couple of minutes left, but I think that we're right at halfway through the season of Easter. And I think this is a perfect opportunity to ask ourselves, what is my Emmaus story? When do I mm. encounter Jesus in the Eucharist? And as you said, ask your parish what the parish is doing 
to bring about this national Eucharistic revival that all of us recognize the risen Lord in the breaking of the bread. And to, and to ask our Lord, what role do you want me to play in my parish's efforts? And how do you want me personally to witness to my belief in the true presence and where and how? And just nudge me when those moments are, are ripe for my witnessing and send your spirit to, um, to empower me to witness uh, for my fellow parishioners, family members, coworkers, whatever. So yeah, the parish it's it's the it's it's the uh, the parish's focus now. The ball is being handed off from the diocese to the parishes and the deaneries especially. Uh, so let's just uh, roll up our sleeves and 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 uh, and remind ourselves and remind others: this is Jesus. Deacon Dan, I want to thank you for being on the show this morning, and um, I want to remind our listeners, keep your eye out for the survey and your email, and if you're not yet to, sub- to subscribe to Red Sea email, visit redseeradio.org uh, forward slash subscribe. That's redseeradio.org forward slash subscribe. Tune in next week for another episode of the Red Sea Roundup. Until then, when calculating how to best use your time, talents, and treasure for the service of God, always round up. I'm alive.